Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Hi. Yes, my name is Carol Newhouse. Um, this came out of a conversation that I was having, I think, with Larry White on the phone. When I actually called up to get information about what you all were doing, because the lesbian song in Berkeley was developing and growing fast, and I had just found out about you all. I'd always heard the initials somewhere, you know what I mean? But this is a wonderful experience to actually be here. Um, and after talking and learning some about what you were doing, it seemed to us it might be beneficial for us to get into a little bit of dialogue in some way, certainly for me and for our sangha. So that's basically why I'm here today. Um, I just want to say that it's phenomenal that we... Um, have a lesbian sangha and a gay Buddhist fellowship, even, I think. Mm -hmm. It's totally phenomenal. And of course it would have to be, you know, in the Bay Area. <laughs> um, and just the physical fact of sitting here with you all um, is, is just so empowering and so amazing to me. I just want to thank you for the opportunity. I think what I'm going to try to do, I'll talk just a little bit about myself, because Clint seemed to feel like you'd want to know some of these things. Um, I've been practicing for about 20 years, mindfulness practice in what I call the Vipassana tradition. Um, I'm not affiliated officially with any center, really, although I go to Spirit Rock a lot because, of course, that's the kind of Vipassana place around here. Um, <laughs> I um, have a teacher named Ruth Dennison that you, many of you probably have not heard of, or maybe some of you have. Um, she's a lay teacher. She's about 75 now. I met her 20 years ago, and I had an experience with her that really changed my life and opened me. My spiritual path already was, you know, cooking, but she really opened the path to Buddhism for me. And to make that story very short, basically what happened is I ran into her in Barry, Massachusetts, where there's a big Vipassana center, sat with her for 10 days, um, came out of that experience with a a clearer consciousness um, and insight into my life that I had never had before in any other tradition. I was into psychic development, you know, I was into yoga, I was into a lot of things, but this really kind of blew my mind. And so, but I was a lesbian, I was a lesbian feminist dyke radical person. <laughs> Still am to some degree. And, um, you know, I was having trouble putting this together, especially in um, 78 or so, this was. So I invited her to a place called WomanShare, which is still exists today as this lesbian feminist country retreat center in Southern Oregon. Um, you know the Back to the Land women's movement some of you might be familiar with in the 70s, where women were trying to get away from patriarchy and figure out who we were, particularly lesbians. And that's what I was part of. So I thought, well, if I can bring this teacher to this environment, you know, and she can handle it and we can handle her, um, maybe something can happen from this, <laughs> for me. You know, I wasn't quite that conscious. You know, I kind of just invited her. Not thinking she'd come, I think. But in fact, she did. 
And um, it was an amazing four or five days. A lot happened, which I could tell you, you know, maybe in another story. But what it did for me is it put it together. It made it okay that I was a radical lesbian feminist and could also understand the Four Noble Truths and start to do mindfulness practice and um, develop on this path. She really embraced us. Just to give you one example, she sat up all night reading a book she found that we had just published called Country Lesbians. And it was, you know, one of those chapbook kind of deals, you know, that we had done. And it was really, you know, you can imagine, it had sex pictures in it, you know, it was about our life, it was about why we were monogamous or not, or, you know, um, building a lot of carpentry stuff, you know, that we were into. <laughs> I think you get the picture. But she also picked up how powerful that was, you know, for what we were doing. And she's, you know, like she's 20 years older than me, so she was my age at that time, which is so interesting when I think about it now. Anyway, she came down and she said, darling, she has, she's from Germany originally, so <laughs> what do you do? I mean, what do you really do together? You know, and she looked at me and I knew what she was asking, you know, and that just blew my mind because I didn't, you know, and I told her basically, <laughs> and we kind of went off from there. And to this day, um, her retreat center in the desert uh, called Damadena, which is near Joshua Tree, um, still is a very gay-friendly place. It's now turned out to be gay, lesbian, bi, transgender-friendly. And um, she does women's retreats twice a year, which are lesbian-dominated, basically. You know, And she's um, given me the transmission um, in her tradition, which comes from um, a monk called Uba Kin, who was from the Theravadan tradition in Burma. So that's where she got her transmission. Um, and a couple of other lesbians and um, other people. So that's kind of where I come from. Um, I think the only other important thing maybe to say is that I wrote a book on women's spirituality with another lesbian, close friend of mine who was part of that community actually in the 70s. About five years ago, it was called The Women's Guide to Spiritual Renewal. And um, it was a survey, really, of what was going on with women in the early 90s, all kinds of women. And um, where's your spirituality at? What are you doing? And the idea basically was to try to compile something original, interesting, about what women were really doing and what they were learning about their spirituality. So these experiences, basically, um, really led me to um, Buddhist sangha with women and particularly lesbians. You can kind of see a thread, right, of women's community and spiritual community developing over the years. So I thought this morning I would talk a little bit about the history of lesbian sangha that I know of, particularly in the East Bay, and how our sangha developed into what it is now, and um, then tell you about it, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I'm going to be reading some of this because I've already written up a couple of papers and articles on it, and it comes across kind of nicely, and so I'm going to try to share it that way. <laughs> um, I know for many of the women in our sangha today in the East Bay, our empowerment within religion, and particularly Buddhism, was at least partly inspired by the second wave of the women's movement, like I was saying, whether or not they were up in the hills with me or not. Um, it's this thing about self-investigation and consciousness raising that many of us of my generation were doing in like 70, 75 in there. We were meeting in groups and asking ourselves, well, who are we? What are we doing as women, right? And many of us were lesbians. 
Um, the interesting thing that seems to have emerged when I talk to the women about why they're Buddhists now, or at least practitioners, is because they feel that that's what Buddhism's about. It's about self-investigation, right? It's about finding out who you are and waking up to your full potential. And it seems a little more open than many other religious kind of situations around the fact that you're a lesbian or, you know, you're a woman particularly. Um, so many of us, I think, would say that. Many of us welcomed the idea of detached investigation of our experience within a religious setting. And so women in Berkeley and Oakland began to sit together informally in their homes or in small groups in the early 80s. And of course, although these were supposed to be the women's sangha, of course, guess who was there? You know, lesbians. Right? Because from our experience, usually, when you say women's saga or women's Buddhist sitting and you go consistently and you really become interested in it, it turns out to be lesbian dominated because those are the people that want to be together in this context and are less interested in being in the heterosexual saga. That's been at least our experience and I'll talk some about that. Um, so we looked around the room, you know, like in 80, 80 I don't know, it was about at least the mid-80s by now, he realized that we were mostly lesbians, but at that point felt like we wanted to still call it the women's saga. And then about oh, three years ago, and I should explain what this was like. This wasn't like what we're doing now. It was in someone's living room, you know, and people would meet, and maybe six people would come, or eight people would come, and there'd be a tape maybe played, or maybe not. People would just sit and have tea afterwards, you know, that kind of thing. And maybe they would share an article, like a reading, right? Next week we're going to read so-and-so and talk about it. Maybe they wouldn't. And it was sporadic. You know, it kind of just depended. You know, who was willing to kind of get the mailing list, right? And call people up or get them there. And this went on for, oh, ten years at least, on and off. And then I was part of it again. I'd come back to Berkeley, and it was pretty organized, but small still. I was in someone's living room. And the couple whose house it was broke up. Right? <laughs> and I think this is a lot, you know, about what happens in the culture. So everyone's looking around, you know, and, and the two women weren't, weren't speaking. And, um, and, and, you know, in my life, things were happening also. I'd come back to the area. I really wanted lesbian sangha. And I was also thinking about being more of a teacher, guiding teacher, sort of. And I grabbed the mailing list, basically, and said, okay, give me that, you know, before it gets lost, and I'll just start something or continue something. So that's really what happened. And I took it on with a lot of help from Annie and a couple of others. But basically, it was really my thing, in a way, at that point. And sent out another mailing list and structured it differently and said that I would be, I used the word teacher very lightly, but that I was organizing it, and um, let's start again. Picked a new living room in, in North Berkeley, and this one was bigger and prettier, and um, <laughs> we ended up there two years at least, I would say. And those people, um, that couple, they were very devoted and um, very cooperative and very present with us, and their house was just very beautiful, you know, and it was a very nurturing space to be. So, um, I'm going to leave that for now and come back to what we're actually doing now. Um, because I want to talk about the two main reasons why I think we're together, um, and I'll keep talking about this in a minute, but there's a positive and a negative way of looking at this, I think. There's a positive way that we want culture, we want camaraderie, uh, we want to develop together, um, 
And then there's a sort of reactionary way, I think, of looking at it. And I want to talk about that for a minute, because for us as lesbians and bi women, is the way we're defining it now, um, it is a reaction against some prejudice, we feel, and some difficulties. And so I wanted to raise some of that with you. And I have um, some examples here that I thought I'd share. So there are also specific instances of exclusion and prejudice that some of us have faced in heterosexual Buddhist community. And this has played a role in our coming together. Um, as I'm sure some of you are painfully aware, encountering difference in Buddhist circles does not always go smoothly. So I will take a moment to share a few examples of my own experience and the experience of lesbian sisters that points to some of the dukkha um, or problems or suffering in our struggle to come together with the larger community. And I'm going to begin by um, an excerpt from Canyon Sam's article. She's a friend of mine. Some of you may have heard of her. She's a performance <coughs> artist, writer of Chinese descent, lesbian, feminist, um, old-time friend of mine. And she wrote an interesting article in the January issue of Shambhala's Sun this year. Um, Canyon attends a day-long singles sit. Okay, it's Spirit Rock. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> it's Spirit Rock. Um, <laughs> this is always hard for me, you know, because it's about right speech, right? You know, and I'm not really here to say Spirit Rock is a mess. You know, that's not the point. It's, it's just the kind of look at stuff that happens. And, and, and Spirit Rock, in a way, has been quite open in, in other ways, too. So I find that the people that tend to invite us in tend to hear about us and have experiences with us, you know, so. Um, so the single sit, she was single, is what she's going to. Um, and it's a combination of meditation and talks, and she's explaining in the article, there's a feeling of camaraderie going on with these people. And in the afternoon, Canyon asks one of the teachers if they can make an announcement from the stage that gay and bisexual people would like to be able to meet with each other, identify each other, because you know how that is. You, you might not necessarily know. Um, maybe go in the corner of a room at some point so they can find each other or something. And this is a short part of her article here. It's a sea of people. We need to connect with each other, she's thinking. The teacher looks at me for a moment as if comprehension is not completing. <laughs> his bushy mustache twitches <laughs> uh, well he shifts on his feet uh, well hmm he blinks knits his eyebrows I look at him I didn't think this was a difficult question <laughs> I guess I don't mm, I'll ask he inclines his chin to his colleague on the raised platform a tall husky sandy haired psychologist we're not supposed to know who this is. <laughs> but she's given us enough information. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this guy says, well, we didn't really plan on it. And then Canyon goes on to speculate. I wonder what the problem is. Gay people aren't single. Um, gay people aren't Buddhists. Gay people don't need to talk to each other. We just can sit and listen to heterosexual references all day long and assume that we're included. Um, maybe this is a straight event, and what are gay people doing here anyway? Um, we're talking about legitimate relationships, and gay people don't have these. 
Uh, I know, gay, uh, Marin County doesn't have any gay people. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good sense of humor and a way of making a point, I think. Um, people ask me what the upshot of that all was. Um, I don't think it went very well. I can't remember. They never met together that day. Last year, when I finally got online with AOL, this is my experience, um, my first inclination was to visit their online Buddhist discussion board, <laughs> especially the section designated for women's issues. I thought I might find other women and lesbians interested in exchanging ideas and experiences within Buddhism and a way to publicize the Sangha. As I read through the messages on the board attempting to acquaint myself with the conversations, I quickly realized that on many occasions, questions and comments by women addressing women and lesbians' concerns within the Buddhist community were being met with hostility. Often these online responses were condescending and discounted the discussion taking place. Much of what was discounted and discouraged were stories where women and lesbians felt they had been disrespected, marginalized, and sometimes I would even say harmed, as in situations of, say, verbal or sexual abuse within the community. <coughs> As I read over the responses, I saw that much of the rationale for dismissal of attempts at discussion stemmed from the idea that Buddhists are striving for unity and focusing on absolute reality. And admission of relative differences would not hold up our spiritual, would only hold up our spiritual progress, right, on the path. Um, and maybe it was even injurious to the forming of community and Sangha, and maybe even offensive to the Buddha. <laughs> These remarks came as warnings from so-called senior students and teachers, uh, and for the most part from men who did identify themselves as male. I was shocked when after one woman expressed her painful experience, it was suggested that she, and I quote from the posting, penetrate its nature, understand that all of samsara is ultimately empty, and that if she were a true Buddhist practitioner, she would have understood this and would not keep bringing up these issues. <laughs> my respect for, you know, um, my request for compassion and understanding of the possible harm that could be caused and my suggestions that perhaps our precept of non-harming had been transgressed um, were pretty much ignored. And after a couple of months, I noticed women kind of dropping off this discussion board, and again, I felt like we were silenced. I'd attempted to encourage the women who were posting to ignore these messages, but generally I think people moved on either out of frustration, hurt, or maybe just boredom. And I'm going to give you a last story because I think it might have something to do with some of your, um, I suspect, quests here. A year ago, it became apparent that our lesbian sangha needed a larger space for gatherings. We'd grown from, I would say, maybe 10 to 15 usually, which was in the large living room beginning to get crowded, right? And we were getting up to 20, 25, maybe even more. We had a meeting in our members' living room and were rapidly outgrowing the space. One of our members approached the head monk of a Buddhist learning institute and monastery in Berkeley and she asked if we could use the meditation hall occasionally for Dharma talks and sittings. 
Our Sangha members spoke at length with this head monk and later with a popular lay Vipassana teacher who had been holding classes in the same facility for several years. It quickly became clear to her that both men were less than enthusiastic about the idea. But after being assured as to our propriety, I could go into that, (laughs) and respect for the Dharma, the head monk said he would take up the issue with his board. Eventually, the lay teacher agreed to speak to the head monk. I mean, this went on, you know. Unfortunately, we never heard a response, written or phone call or anything, to any of our requests for space from either of these people. And I just gave up at one point. Our need to find a larger space continued, however, and at this point, as about five or six months, we've been located at the United Methodist Church in North Berkeley, who seems elated to have us there. And when we went in there um, to talk about the possibility, I was a little intimidated at this point, because I thought, now it's a church. Um, But we heard that they had space available. And we said, you know, this word lesbian kind of softly. (laughs) Um, This woman almost literally grabbed me. (laughs) She said, lesbian? And it actually scared me a little. I thought, (laughs) But actually, it was the opposite. She was like elated to have us and explained that they were a reconciling congregation, uh, if you've heard of this, in the Methodist faith particularly. And um, it felt like sort of an affirmative action thing. (laughs) And she actually said, I don't think she used the word atonement, but she said something like, you know, we realize we haven't been responsive to this part of our congregation or our community. And she didn't care that we were Buddhists or, you know, (laughs) it was that we were lesbians. (laughs) So even though we have a, we have a, a a, it's not a tenuous relationship, but we do have issues, like if we move something. You know, in their space, then they remember that, and they call me and ask me to move it back and stuff like that. But basically, you know, it's it's very nice, and it's sad too. You know that I'm I'm in a Christian place. I mean, we're the Buddhist place. We had more trouble, but it's a it's a work in progress. So the purpose of our lesbian sangha, we've met and we've discussed this, is basically uh, to pro- provide a space for the questions and intuitive wisdom of lesbians and our understanding of Buddhism as we practice it together. Okay, so we're assuming we have some kind of intuitive wisdom and some maybe different or special questions that we want to share together. We also want to deepen our spiritual practice together. It's our experience that when one grows up in a culture that does not give space or expression to one's identity, it may remain um, known to us if we're lucky, but its expression will be hampered or even distorted when we're in the presence of a dominant culture. And we would include religious dominant culture. We know that the dominant expression of Buddhism and Buddhist practice is not a feminine expression and certainly not a lesbian expression. And Buddhism, as it moves to the West, is not only encountering Western culture and ideas, but women and lesbians issues as well. In order for these to emerge, the lesbian expression of Buddhism needs an incubator, we feel, a safe, warm, and quiet space for our wisdom to grow and to be expressed, and to meet our needs for spiritual friendship and support among lesbians. And for me personally, I think, as I reflect, the reason I really jumped in to try to build Sangha was a personal issue. 
I really wanted to draw to me more women, lesbians particularly, who were in the practice, you know, who, could, could, who I could go to, who could help me, you know, who understood my basic values or what I was trying to live by, I was trying to develop and would nurture that in me, you know, as much as possible. And it's happening. I'm very excited about it. The lesbian Buddhist Sangha provides a refuge, a refuge from oppression where we can learn to awaken to the truth of who we really are. I know that the prejudice and discrimination sometimes directed at us can be internalized as well as projected out onto others. Often I find that we end up living a struggle rather than living the mind and heart of compassion and kindness that we're trying to cultivate. We feel we need sanctuary from this struggle, a safe place to open our minds and hearts to our spirituality. The Sangha helps us to heal our tendency towards constriction and self-criticism by helping us open our hearts to ourselves and to each other. So the lesbian Sangha is becoming a container for forgiveness and for healing. So a few facts. We have a membership of about 125, maybe more than that on the mailing list. Um, we have meetings every Tuesday night now, about seven in Berkeley, and they're different. Um, the second and fourth Tuesdays seems very much like this. I don't know everything you do, but we would get maybe 25, 30 women, something like that, right currently. Sometimes we have a speaker, exactly like what you're doing today. Sometimes what we're doing lately, which I find really exciting, is taking a topic. Like, I brought a tape, actually, that Andy was able to help us make of relationships, lesbian sangha. Okay, so I got two couples and two individuals who were single, right, to come and to speak, like we're doing now, but like a panel, sort of. And they were able to talk about their practice from that perspective as lesbians and recorded it. And now we're trying to distribute it for donation, you know, just share it with our members. Um, so we do that. Sometimes I invite teachers, and I think you probably do that too. I try to invite lesbian teachers if I can find them. Um, women teachers, next. <laughs> and that's as far as we've gotten so far. <laughs> that seems to be the, the interest. There's, there's a transgender person who um, is interested in coming, and we'll see what that's going to be about. I'm not sure what's going to happen. He's just, he's, she has just asked the cop. We have a study group now on the first Tuesday night in someone's home, the smaller. And we have what we call a Kalyanamita group, which is in the Vipassana tradition, Theravada, basically a spiritual friendship group. And it's very unstructured. Leadership rotates all the time. Um, it's small. It's not supposed to get any bigger than 10 or 12, really. And the idea, again, is forming community, but in a more intimate way and talking about how you're practicing together. Uh, we go on field trips. This is a new thing we've been doing. We just started it um, three or four months ago. We've been up to a zone, a Stone Creek Zendo. I don't know if you know of it. It's in Sebastopol. There's a lesbian Roshi named Jishu Warner who's moved up there recently. And she has this nice little space. And um, so 20 of us went up there this summer and sat with her, and that was fun. So we're trying to do those kind of things. We've been to Rena Sakar Center, which you may be familiar with right here in the mission. Um, she's a Theravada nun from Burmese background, very powerful, interesting woman, teacher of mine. So it gives you a sense. 
I want to give you a sense of who we are, too. I feel I'm talking too long. Um, many of us feel that we're more comfortable with feminine images, and just because of many things I've already said. We can identify more easily, so we use Kuan Yin on our altar. Um, we're in a space where we're like nomads. We come in, that's why I was asking where all these objects came from. We come in, you know, with boxes and things, and we take 15 minutes and we transform the space. That's basically, and then we take down and <laughs> go home. Um, so we have our own objects and images. Um, we prefer a less hierarchical structure, conducting rituals or meditations or anything. I am this guiding teacher in a sense, but I see myself, although I, I am certainly a senior student, among two or three others, I would say, at this point. I really see my role as guiding the Sangha, really, more than wrapping it down about what Buddhism really is to everybody who doesn't really know, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't want to negate the fact that I know something, but, you know, it's, it's a fine line. And that role's changing. It's all evolving. Um, we have a strong interest in how the Dharma assists with relationships, as I mentioned, when we talk about that. We tend to be um, inventive and questioning a lot. And many of us are working to put an end to suffering in the larger community. You know, many people are involved in homeless projects or different kinds of things like that. And have a connection with um, um, BPF, you know, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. Not everybody, but maybe a third of the people, something like that. We tend to be Vipassana and Zen practitioners if people do affiliate not so much Tibetan um, or any other type, although there's a, always a little bit. But we, we t started out very Vipassana, and now there's more Zen practitioners. We just work with that. It seems okay. Can you describe your work with the homeless briefly? Who? Can you describe your work with the homeless? You know, I don't, the way we do that is we don't yet officially do it as a group. What I mean by that is there may be an individual in the group that teaches. Um, Mindfulness meditation at a homeless shelter. There is. And she talks about that, and then she invites other people to maybe go with her or to learn about that. So that's, at this point, all I really know about it, because that's what she's done, and I haven't personally gone. So different people have different things, and they try to include people. That's the way it works. Um, so I think I'm going to stop. I was going to read a nice poetic um, thing about Kuan Yin. But basically, um, it's... Um, the thrill of sitting here, and if none of you have had this experience, I would really encourage it, even if you're not going to do the whole talk, to, to sit here and open your eyes and to look out, you know, and to see all these gay men, which I had this morning, sitting, you know, and holding the community, which I have a lot with the lesbian community, is um, totally moving to me. I mean, it's hard to put into words what it does for me. Um, so I guess that's all I'll say for now. Thank you for listening. Carol, what you said about the um, about kind of the rationale for having a women's group or a gay gay women's group is uh, was was very beautiful. First of all, and also it's something that we talk about you know, on the steering committee a lot. You know, like should we have you know open it up to you know all these other groups, or should we keep it a safe enclave for gay men? And, and we always end up saying, well, we should keep it a safe enclave for gay men, but I think the way you've, you've put it is so eloquent, and that's something, you could just substitute that for gay, you know, men, mm -hmm. and that would help us to understand why why it is so comfortable, you know, like this, even though we feel like, well, 
Buddhism, maybe we're being too exclusive or something, or excluding people. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if we could get a copy of that also, a copy of your, you know, your, your talking the about talk your part? mission. And, yeah. Sure, certainly, I'll see that happens. Yeah, I wouldn't have any more comments except what I ever already yeah. said. I, I would support you in that. And um, I was talking to <coughs> someone in the break briefly, and he mentioned to me that perhaps it's easier for women to be exclusive than for men. And I hadn't really thought about that. But when he said it to me, it, it, yeah, I, I kind of un- understood it, you know. Um, however, from my position, I would, I would want to encourage you to keep your space. <laughs> you know, it's invaluable. It's precious, from my opinion. Yeah. Um, first of all, I really want to express my appreciation. I don't know if you're being here, but for a certain mood and tone you establish, which I find um, very helpful. So, uh, moments of levity and allowing for both the pain and a slight distance to come into our discourse and dialogue. And um, that's point one and point two. I really want to express my appreciation. It may have been a little inadvertent, but that you, in fact, identified Spirit Rock. Where I go, oh, I go every Wednesday. Oh. And I um, go to sit, and um, it's um, facilitated by a woman, Sylvia Forstein. Right. And for whatever reasons, in the years I've gone, I've had an enormous need to identify myself as a gay man, you know, and um, to be visible. And I've always been extremely welcome. It's at least 80% women all the time. Right. There is a large, not always identified lesbian group amongst women, but of course I can see that they're lesbian because mm-hmm. of a variety of things. And the reason I'm so glad that you identified it is I do think we need to talk about it, and I do experience there an openness to hearing, even if, in fact, naturally, there is a certain kind of blindness that we, in fact, can speak more readily to, because we're, you know, the objects of that blindness. And then the fifth thing I just want to say about that is, of course, I've gone to weekends and four-day retreats that Eric and Irina have led up there. Right. And Do people me, know who he's talking about? Yeah, not everybody. Maybe you could just well, say. I can't speak exactly to how many clearly identifiable lesbian or gay men there are in uh, the Picasso tradition around. But one of the men is um, Eric Kolvik, who was, of course, a member here and who now is in Santa Fe, who I just saw actually a week ago when I was in Santa Fe. Marina is from um, Massachusetts. Northampton. Northampton, yeah. Northampton Weston. And she comes out, the two of them have many times led um, retreats for both lesbian and gay men. And what I would like to say about that is that I personally experience an enormous richness in sitting with lesbians as well as gay men. Mm-hmm. There are things we really do share, and the piece for me, I'm sorry for going on, but the piece for me that's so important is that I've internalized a lot of that pain and hurt. And to have a place where it's safe enough to A, bring it out, and B, have it validated, mm-hmm. allows me to integrate and become more present and to move, mm-hmm. which is you know so important. And that is one of the reasons I'm so glad that you're here. Because you know there's a great strength for us to meet as men. There's something very wonderful to be witnessed in doing that mm-hmm. by you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm Larry, and thank you very much, and welcome to you and your partner. I tried the shoes, they don't fit. (laughs) (laughs) You can wear your shoes? (laughs) I asked you if it was safe to leave my (laughs) shoes. I love the designs that they don't fit.
thinking high heels. <laughs> yeah, right. They're just dyke shoes. So don't worry. I think that uh, so much of everything what you say obviously resonates with, with all of us. And there's so many deep lessons in it, the whole concept. And again, I appreciate your bringing it back around to the Dharma, talking about Dukkha. I started out with the San Francisco Buddhist Center, who then gave the Gay Buddhist Fellowship to me because they knew I had certain needs. And it was nice that they could see that I had needs and go out and actually found the soccer for me so that I could have someplace else that I could call home. But within the home, there's still the search for this. You know this 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 exterior that I've born with that mm-hmm. can be problematic and has been problematic within heterosexual uh, and homosexual and bisexual and all sides. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the concept of dukkha what is what does the Buddha charge us with doing with that wisdom that he's given us? Uh, I've met a number of women so far from the uh, sangha that you're associated with, including Saint Ken, who's one of my heroines in this world, mm-hmm. and um, I'm hoping and I'm feeling that we're all going to keep learning the real lesson, because in the end, one day, it won't <laughs> matter, none of it will matter, mm-hmm. but until such time that it does matter, we do have to have safe places, but we have to also be critical of ourselves and mindful of ourselves to make sure we do what we need to do individually to keep our sanctuary safe for those of us who are something more than just uh, sexual minorities. You know, some of us are, are multiple, each one of us are multiple minorities. And to be able to honor that with respect, I think, is the greatest challenge for us because oftentimes, and in the long winter one will stop, we do become like that, which oppresses us. Yeah. That's the greatest challenge. And again, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. I will say that um, I feel probably that the lesbian sangha that I represent today has the same issues. We have very few women of color. Um, Occasionally there'll be an African-American lesbian, um, Mexican-American woman come. Um, There's maybe a couple of them that come regularly, but it's it's a real issue, um, and it's much bigger than us. It's, you know, like you said, it's the whole thing and where the religion came from, and we could go on and on. But I do really honor um, the richness that, you know, we each bring, you know, and um, we don't have to be afraid of it. You know, it's, it's who we are. And again, I think as gay people, maybe, maybe that's my thing. You know, I think we're well equipped to understand some of this, Duca, that you're talking about. You know, we just try to see that it just has a little bit different flavor over here, you know, but it's the same pain, you know, and not be afraid of it. So appreciate you for speaking about this. You know, um, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship is supposedly going to be putting on a racism yeah. and no, Buddhism no, no, no. conference or something. We have two members of the okay. actually working on this. Great. Yeah, good, because I know Rosa. And she's uh, sort of in contact with us, and I'm hoping to be able to go to it or be part of it in some way. And I also heard that the Buddhist Peace Fellowship was thinking of putting on a gay forum as well, or as being gay, bi, transgender, whatever forum somehow, too. Um, so this will be interesting if some of these things happen. Thank you. Andy? Oh, yeah. um, perhaps I misunderstood you, but did you say that for speakers you look for lesbians, and then secondly, women? Does this mean that you exclude men as speakers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
mean, not, you know, oh, God, you know. I mean, not like that. I would say in a gentle way, no one's brought it up. You know, if someone has come to us, or it hasn't been my idea, and no one else has come up and said, you know, we'd really like um, Mel, what's his name, from the Berkeley Zendo, you know, to come and speak. And, and we really think that's important or something. And I don't, you know, it's interesting you're mentioning it. I, I don't know why exactly. No one has ever said, we're never going to have any men. You know, it hasn't been like that. I think, just reflecting on it now, well, it's just not our priority. That's all. It's not exactly like, I, I can imagine someday it might happen. But see, I would say, you want to hear Mel? Go hear Mel. And he's right over there. You know? <laughs> and that's fine. You know, um, and maybe it will happen that Mel would like to be part of a representation of his group in our setting. You know, that could be an interesting exchange. Well, I... I mean, just picked him because that's <clears throat> one of the names that sometimes yeah, some of the people I work with... It seems it doesn't fit into the whole idea of sharing and, um, you know, basic philosophy of openness and loving kind, everything that goes with it. just seems like here you are, mm -hmm. you know, as a lesbian woman, whatever. Right. And um, I would think that... Um, well, I, I think of Ellen Oliver and um, David Holmes as two people who are very gentle as speakers and very, anti, I mean, not anti, you know, they're just loving. Mm -hmm. And they're so gentle in the way they approach things. that they might be uh, two people to consider for your group. Are these heterosexual people? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you very well. <laughs> You know, what I would do with that is um, I would take the recommendation back to the group and just see what, what people were interested in hearing about. I think we're on the edge of exploring something here today for our groups. And then there's a larger issue, you know, of the whole community of Buddhism. And, and we just, we just like you probably do, thrash it out together. You know, my strongest comment would be we're in a developmental process together. And, you know, what comes up, we trust. You know, and if some, some large part of the organization or some people really, really want to hear somebody, I imagine they would be invited. You know, it's like that. It just really hasn't come up is the best thing I can say about it. I, I just, just want to add to that. I, I don't mind you talking, but I, I'd like to see everybody have one chance. Okay, and, uh, and uh, I think, you know, Larry is I wanted to thank you also uh, for your talk. <laughs> it was really like looking in the mirror. Oh, well, that's interesting for me to hear. It was yeah. wonderful. It was just there's so much that 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 resonated. So much about your experience that it, we have similar experiences about, and great to get your perspective on it. You know, let's be perspective on it. I just want to comment on what was said before. It's up, it, you know, it's up to you to decide who you want to have as speakers, and it's really not up to us to, you know. Oh no, the suggestions are more than yeah. you know. It's great. Okay. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Right? Okay, we have just time for just a couple more questions. So, uh, uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to thank you, Kevin, too. Uh, I worked at UC Berkeley for a while uh, in a political role um, uh, with lesbians, and the lesbians had a very um, militant agenda that really excluded all white males and made the organization on the campus. It was very traumatic for me because I went in there kind of naively. And I realized that, you know, I came out 
in the hippie movement, I thought it was all about brothers and sisters, and a large part of the mainstream gay community in the 70s excluded women, socially and politically, uh, especially from positions of importance. So I'm very glad this is happening, because I just, I just don't get myself and my own experience how that rift happened to begin with, and it's very painful for me to observe. I mean, I understand each of us having a particular interest to develop, but in terms of the, of the separation and, and in the non-spiritual world, the hostility, I thought that was really so non-productive and wounding. So I'm really glad, really glad. It is non-productive and wounding, and it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and personally, I don't expect it always to not be there. You know, I, I like for instance, if we got more involved with each other in some way, stuff would happen. You know, and that's okay with me. It sort of gets back to what you were talking about because I feel in the context of the Dharma, that kind of stuff you talked about isn't going to happen anymore. You know, there's going to be a way through. You know, there's going to be something I don't know about you all, but I can say for our group, that's where we would come back to. Okay, so what is right speech? You know, what is, what is right action? You know, what is compassion? You know, are we practicing it here or not? How can we be who we really are? Deal with our feelings of resentment or whatever and yet not really harm anybody. Is that possible? You know what I mean? And I didn't have any of that. <laughs> you know, I was just trying to protect myself and grow and thrive, and, and I probably hurt some people in the process, no doubt, you know, but but I'd like to think that was, you know, something <laughs> that we just had to go through. Yeah. Well, yeah. You recognize two more people from time to time. Alan and somebody over here, and then we're all. So we call Alan and then we're yeah, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, Alan was like talking about you. dialogue, and uh, we've been sort of looking around for a partner in that dialogue. Oh, and uh, the Dharma sisters seem to come and go, and never really, really there or not there. Uh, so we're really welcoming this, and uh, I'm sure the steering committee will contact you for some uh, interaction. Uh, but you know, I, I was interested in, in trying to maybe we could nail down a little bit more, not here, but the difference between an affinity group, which was very positive, which I think GBF started as sort of an affinity group, it didn't really start as let's exclude lesbians. And in our dialogues over the years, it seems to come up about every two years, hmm. where we have this big debate of whether we should be a lesbian gay group or a gay group. I, I don't think we've we've been clear about how we need both. Uh, the fact that we need a space where we can talk about as men and about our sexuality and our relationships. We also need a space where we can talk together about uh, a lot of issues. So I think that will happen now. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, Please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.